time of use, it's one of the most underutilized assets for electric gas and water grids. And we should be aligning the cost to serve energy with demand. And the limiter has been the inability to send price signals. This is Energy Cast, and I'm Jay Dallenhauer. Today we're talking about using real-time data to make energy efficiency more effective. You've probably gotten alerts during an extreme weather event. The grid is at its limit. Please turn off all unnecessary devices. And there are even efforts out there by utilities control when some of our most energy-intensive devices turn on and off. My guess says there's even more energy usage information available, but it's been just outside of our grasp until now. He says older meters, automatic meter reading, or AMRs, send information via radio signals every 30 seconds but your friendly neighborhood meter reader drives by once a month. Those advanced metering infrastructure, AMI, or smart meters, he says, can only provide data to the utilities the following day at longer intervals, best case. My guess says his team has developed a unique hardware that can read AMRs with their more frequent output in real time using a small device that plugs into your wall and connects with Wi-Fi. A new product will sit on a pole in the middle of a neighborhood and collect data from everyone. The same goes for water and gas meters. The difference here is that with multiple meter reads per minute, you can start to see trends like leaking pipes or charging your EV when the grid is at its peak. My guess says their proprietary software can essentially tell you're charging an EV without knowing what circuit is being used. The overall benefit, he says, is that utilities can then offer up programs to their customers to help incentivize behavior like charging their EVs at night without invasive and expensive technologies that do the work for them. It's this mix of new hardware and software combined with older existing technology that he believes can lead to effective real-time results. My guest today is Dan Foreman, CEO of Copper Labs, a meter solutions company based in Boulder, Colorado. Copper was founded in 2016. Dan says their first five years was heavily focused on developing the hardware to read multiple meters in real time, and the next phase will be more services focused. In early 2022, Copper Labs conducted a pilot with National Grid on their gas customers in the Northeast. During a winter storm, the media called a bomb cyclone. It found that customers using Copper's software reduced their consumption by 18% over the control group. Dan and I discussed a wide range of topics, including the sea change demand response for water and gas utilities could be, as well as how you keep Ma and Pa customers engaged enough to modify their energy usage. I think a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast understand there's a lot of folks who don't live in this world. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dan Foreman. We're here with Dan Foreman, CEO of Copper Labs. And Dan, I have had a few guests on to discuss demand response in the past, and I'm still a little fuzzy how the dynamics work. Help us understand what we mean by demand response and what Copper Labs is doing with that. 
Sure. Thanks, Jay. And really appreciate you having me on today. I think a lot of people are starting to hear more and more about demand response because it's really meant to help address peak loads that occur on the grid that are really only increasing. And so if you think about all the challenges we've had in the past of maintaining uptime and resiliency on electric, gas and water grids, you know, in particular, I'll focus on electric. As you want to integrate more and more intermittent utility scale renewables or consumer sited distributed energy resources like electric vehicles, it's putting a whole lot of new strain on the grid. And the fact is that some of these peaks might only occur a few times a year. And so instead of utilities spending billions to build infrastructure that can meet that peak demand, they can instead leverage things like demand response to create load flexibility that reduces that peak during those critical moments. And so the way this has typically happened for residential on the energy side is through connected smart thermostats. And so a lot of folks, utilities have probably reached out and said, hey, we'll give you this free thermostat. And oh, by the way, if you let us then reach in and adjust that during peak periods, we'll offer certain incentives. And so that's worked pretty well, but that you know is limited by the fact that smart thermostats are only present in about 20% of U.S. homes, and typically 10% of the consumers that have enrolled in one of these programs will actually participate when the utility issues that. And so what copper is doing differently is unlocking the whole home meter data. So it goes well beyond the limitations of smart thermostats to engage consumers behaviorally or through integrations we have with control partners to help reduce those peak loads when it matters most to the grid. Yeah. Dan, I've had guests on before like C-Power. And what's interesting about all this, and especially, you know, this whole idea of energy efficiency is your business model is focused on utilities, even though the big sell point is the benefit to utility customers. The website seems almost like you're selling a product to the customers, but utilities are really the ones you've got the contracts with, right? That's correct. We only sell to utilities, but because we need to have those consumers there and engaged when the utility reaches out, we have to do things that provide value. And for us, most of the way that happens is through personalized and actionable insights. Things like if you're thinking about gas, for example, we build things like mid-cycle high bill alerts that say, hey, you're 25% of the way into the month, but you're on track to double. And so if we can give them that nudge early enough in the cycle that they can still make a change, that drives value for them. If you think about Water, for example, if we can help identify leaks before they get really expensive or cause damage, that provides a lot of compelling value to the consumer in addition to the utility that might have to write that off if they get an extremely high bill. And so you mentioned C-Power, and I think it's an important point. We like those guys. They're focused more on so-called C&I, the commercial and industrial space, whereas we have typically focused on residential. And so commercial and industrial are such heavy loads for the electric grid that they'll typically develop demand response relationships where the utility will shut them down, write them a check for more than they would have generated in revenue for that day and send them home. That's been one of the key missing pieces for making residential demand management effective at scale is that a lot of utilities haven't figured out what is the appropriate incentive to get consumers to shift behavior. That's one of the things that we're helping them to do by adding value, engaging consumers with real-time usage data so they can make more informed choices. If I'm a utility customer and I'm using your device, is it Copper Labs branded or does it just look like these messages are coming from the utility that I have a deal with? It's a little bit of both, Jay. You know, a lot of utilities, it takes them time to integrate new technologies like Copper. And so whereas we can be integrated into their apps, we can white label our devices, we can white label the app. Most of them just want to get started fast. And so we provide a turnkey mobile app that consumers can download from their favorite app store 
and a web portal for utilities that's a lot like Google Maps for real-time energy loads where they can see exactly who's using what and where. And we create that data-driven channel to engage targeted consumers when it matters most to the grid. And none of that requires the lengthy and expensive backend integration to get started. Certainly over time, when we get deployed at scale with utilities, we need to integrate with backend systems like the MDMS, the CIS, and other back office. But we provide an easy, quick start for utilities to get going right out of the box. Right. I've heard of utilities providing notifications to their users to cut usage to save money when pressure on the grid is high. What sets you apart? Yeah, I think it's really about turning these utility customers from ratepayers into collaborators. And so if you're engaging them with data, helping them make better decisions that will either make more environmentally conscious decisions about how they use energy, help them save a few hundred bucks. You've got a much more engaged consumer. You look back to what happened in California last summer, for example, where they effectively leveraged the Amber Alert to send an emergency text saying, hey, we are going to experience a blackout. Lo and behold, a lot of people actually chipped in and they did what they needed to do to avoid that. And that worked once. And there's a limit to that. And if you look at what's been happening in Texas, for example, there's a lot of fatigue for people that are hearing from ERCOT, please curtail, please curtail. And the users are saying, please pay me. And so if you've got something like copper that can show exactly who's using what in real time, create that channel to engage them with whatever the incentive might be and the ability to measure in real time how that behavior change is affecting usage of the meter, you've got a really unique model and very few utilities are instrumented to do that today. And Dan, I think I always talk to people about this. <laughs> You're real into this. I'm real into this. Is my 62-year-old favorite aunt into watching their power usage like a hawk through an app? How do you get those folks engaged? Yeah, it's a good question. And you'd probably be surprised to hear me say this, given that I'm in the business of selling energy demand management solutions. But I don't think most consumers really care. You know, when they get started with something like copper and they can see their usage, they're really active for the first week or two looking at it. But once they understand what those patterns look like, they don't need it as much. What you need to do beyond that is provide these actionable insights that help people know something they don't already know, whether it be the leak example I mentioned, knowing that you're charging an electric vehicle at a particularly high moment of carbon intensity on the grid. Things like that can keep people engaged. But if you look at what's working in wholesale markets where third-party aggregators will go and get a bunch of consumers to participate in programs, bid that into wholesale markets, it needs to be gamified. And there needs to be a compelling incentive. And so the really unique thing that copper can provide to utilities and utility customers is dynamic load flexibility. And so if you think about Uber surge pricing, for example, if you're trying to leave a conference when it's really busy, you're going to have to pay more if you want to get home. I believe utilities should be doing the same to consumers. And so if I'm a utility considering a potential outage that's going to come where it might cost me X to, for example, buy more power on an open market or fire up an expensive and dirty gas peaker plant, if you could have a budget that was somewhat lower than that cost and engage consumers dynamically and pay them for the performance in that particular moment, you can get a whole lot of people to play the game because I think humans are pretty well proven to respond to economic incentives if they get high enough. We talked about the software. We talked about kind of what it looks like to the consumer. Let's talk a little bit about the hardware. So your product is different from a smart meter, correct? And I've had some guests on that have had devices that fit into the existing meter socket, kind of like a collar. You're not doing that, right? It's not going into the meter socket. What is it doing? That's correct. We don't think smart meters are particularly smart. And I think that's really been proven out. I think it's a widely accepted view at this point that AMI 1.0 rollouts that are starting to age out have really failed to deliver on the product 
promise that those meter vendors made to utilities and their consumers and the regulators. And so, you know, a lot of people are trying to find ways to retrofit that. And for our mind, putting an expensive piece of hardware on an already expensive smart meter doesn't make a lot of sense. So copper can make legacy and smart grids smarter. So we have a little wireless device. We've got two versions, an in-home version and an outdoor version. But the in-home version, for example, it has radios that will listen to so-called drive-by AMR meters, where the utility is only getting that data every 30 days when they drive a truck around to pick it up. But the fact is, most of those meters are chirping data every 30 seconds. And so what Copper does is leverage a low-cost wireless device that uses a proprietary machine learning algorithm to learn how to read those targeted meters down to real time overnight. For smart meters, we would connect through either Zigbee or Wi-Fi home area networks with in-home hardware. But the fact is the state-of-the-art smart meter tells utilities what happened yesterday in 15-minute intervals. And so pulling an increasing mix of expensive hardware and so-called edge compute that has limited effective useful life and really locks utilities into today's tech in a very expensive way. Copper completely flips this model and says, all you need from a meter is consumption data. And the older dumb meters get you everything you need. You should use a low cost sensor like copper, use ubiquitous broadband that's everywhere at this point and use the cloud to run these analytics and figure out how to make decisions. The cloud gets better, faster, cheaper every day. Locking a meter in with 10, 15 year life with the chips that we have today, it's like telling consumers we're going to stick you with the same cell phone you've got right now and you need to make it last for 15 years. Dan, that was going to be my next question about the ability of your device to pick up wireless signals from many meters at many people's homes. I don't think many people knew that meters had that kind of functionality. Drill down a little bit on that. You said that one of your devices could pick up almost an entire neighborhood worth of smart meters. Tell me about that. And then also this device that plugs into the wall and can get information out of your home. Yeah. So just to be clear, we do this with or without smart meters. And frankly, the old legacy drive-by meters are better than the newest smart meters because we can get 30-second interval data from those. Utilities, again, are only seeing what happened on their grid yesterday in 15-minute interval. And that includes their customers. And you can't drive real customer engagement when you have them go and look at some web portal based on what happened yesterday. And we have case studies to prove this. We can typically 2x the performance of those programs when you're engaging someone with real-time data. And so no one really does what we do. It's a really boring old problem. We've got a team that's been doing nothing but solving hard wireless problems in the energy space for the last 20 years. And, you know, we've got four patents on the in-home product right now. We'll get more on the outdoor. And it's a very challenging technical problem to solve, but it's ultimately a much more cost-effective and scalable way to modernize legacy grids and avoid repeating the same mistake of deploying a bunch of more expensive smart grid 2.0. And so our in-home hardware is able to listen to a lot of meters at the same time. It can, for example, listen to a so-called drive-by AMR gas meter and a smart meter simultaneously. The new outdoor product is really meant to take the proven results that we've had running largely behavioral demand response programs for utilities and get that to scale. And so if you can avoid deploying in-home hardware, avoid asking the consumer to do that and avoid the reliance on consumer Wi-Fi, you can deliver the value that copper has proven with in-home hardware at scale significantly more cost effectively. And so the new outdoor neighborhood level version is really a game changer, not only for scaling demand response and energy efficiency programs, but modernizing legacy grids for a fraction of the time and cost of what smart grid would do 
in a less performant way. And so the outdoor collector does exactly what the in-home does. It's listening to hundreds of individual meters at once. And whether you're using in-home or neighborhood, the way that utilities and their customers access the data is the same. Yeah. And so, Dan, we're not just talking about electric utilities. We're going to talk about a little bit about gas and water. And this is energy cast. So gas definitely falls in that category. You made news. Copper Labs had a pilot with National Grid late last fall where you were able to help curb natural gas use during that bomb cyclone in the northeast. Now, natural gas doesn't have variable pricing like electric plans like we just talked about. First of all, why was it critical for both the utilities and the customers to curb the natural gas use? It's finite, right? Use at that level? Yeah, it's a good question, Jay. Back to the nerdy problems that we're solving, not many people pay attention to the things that we do. And if you look at gas, there's only one way really to do demand response, and that's limited by smart thermostats. But a lot of people don't have those. And, you know, a lot of lower income folks don't have all these smart devices. And so in the Northeast in particular, there are acute gas supply constraint problems. You know, the political environment won't allow them to build new infrastructure, and yet they have growing demand as the climate changes and we have different extreme weather events. And so for that, copper is able to help avoid outages. And that's really the premise with gas. It's not really an option to go and buy more gas on a wholesale market or fire up a peaker plant. I mean, if you think back a couple of years ago, the Northeast Utilities parked a tanker offshore to get the additional gas supply they need. And so what copper is doing is so-called non-pipes alternative, where we reduce those peaks, create load flexibility by engaging consumers. And we're doubling down on this with National Grid to expand that program because of the great results. And the one thing I'll add as well is the case study we published there demonstrated an 18% peak load reduction, which if you're nerdy enough in the demand response space, you'll know that's an extremely compelling number that not many utilities achieve. And so when we started then rooting around in that data, because we uniquely get 30-second interval gas data instead of every 30 days, we were able to identify inefficient HVAC when comparing similar homes and similar conditions. That's great targeting information for the utilities to then reach out with their energy efficiency incentive programs, talk to the right people that could really benefit from, you know, an appliance upgrade or other incentives. Right. And so this gets into time of use for home natural gas use. Your website says gas and water utilities currently don't have time of use pricing for those parts. But under this device, under this plan, theoretically, it could. Right. This would be the first time we've ever talked about something like that. Right. Yeah. And time of use or TOU, it's one of the most underutilized assets for electric gas and water grids. And again, we think back to human motivation for economic incentives. We should be aligning the cost to serve energy with demand. And especially with discretionary loads like electric vehicle chargers, people should be incentivized to charge those at times that benefit themselves and the grid. And so Whereas the limiter has been the inability to send price signals, meaning because utilities don't have real-time data, they don't have a channel to engage consumers, they don't have a good way to educate people that, hey, you just charged, plugged in your EV during peak hours. If you were to wait until after nine, for example, it might cost you half as much. You might use wind instead of coal. Utilities are starting to do that on the electric side as they implement smart meters, but Gas and water utilities have lagged significantly, and most don't have a path to get to smart grid. And so 
if copper can come in and unlock the same 30-second interval data from these old, dumb legacy meters that we really love, we can help engage consumers to shift those loads, align demand with what supply looks like. And so water in particular here in the West is a big growth area of interest for us because there's a lot of discretionary load that you could shift, for example, watering a lawn in the middle of August, in the middle of a drought. And if you're not engaging people, sending them a signal, potentially offering them an incentive or a better rate structure to do so, they're not going to come up with those ideas on their own. Dan, those time of use curves with water and gas are different than electric, right? Almost seasonal, right? It's not hour by hour. It's don't use as much gas in the wintertime. Those are wider curves, right? That's right. Without being too wonky on how we sell, we, we typically say we want to sell into areas with a vaccine, not a vitamin, meaning we want to solve a critical problem for a utility. And that varies by region. For the Northeast utilities, it's winter peaking on the gas side. For you know, utilities in Texas and California, it's typically summer peaks on the electric side. And so for water, you're right. You know, if you go to Minnesota, we're probably not going to get many deals there. But California, Arizona, all these communities, they're really struggling to serve the demand that they've signed up for. And they're facing further cuts in allocations from the Colorado River. That creates an acute challenge that a lot of utilities are not prepared to solve. Getting back to electricity, let's talk a little bit about EVs, because I think this is where demand and supply is really going to start to vary a lot. How does your equipment work with electric utility customers with EVs? Is it basically just do something like now's a good time to charge your EV? Would it be plugged into something where that would happen automatically, the overnight charging? Yeah, you know, we don't get as much into the control as we do into informing the consumer and the utility about what's happening. When copper gets the whole home data from the electric meter, that's data that the utility would be using for billing. We apply some of our disaggregation algorithms to that. We're able to identify folks that are charging a level two EV charger, for example, and you would be surprised and disappointed at the number of really smart people we see come home in the middle of a hot summer day when the HVAC's cranking, the grid's already stressed, and they just plug in the electric vehicle because it's easy, it's the thing to do. You know, certain people will have those scheduled Certain people will have participation in a utility program where the utility can control that electric vehicle charge through an API or things like that. We think that's a bit of a crowded space, a lot of people chasing that same problem. And, you know, if copper can help the consumers understand what the relative impact right now in terms of cost of charging that EV, we also plot carbon intensity so people can see what's the relative carbon intensity of charging right now. That lets the consumer make an informed decision. It lets the utility see who is maybe going to be relevant for a time of use program. So for example, if we go back to the example I gave you where, hey, we spot you that Jay, it looks like you just plugged your EV in during peak hours. If you were to shift and do that later, here would be the result. That's great opportunities for utility to then say, oh, by the way, if you were to consistently follow that behavior and sign up for this new rate program, you could save 400 bucks a year or whatever it might be. And so engaging those consumers in the moment with real-time data is going to drive better behavior change than following up the next month and saying, hey, I saw you charge your Tesla at the wrong time last month. Yeah, it sounds really exciting, both on the software side and on the hardware side. So for a company like you starting to get some footing, get some action, where do you see yourself going? More on the services side, more on the hardware functionality, like having it where it would control EVs. Where do you think we're going, Dan? Yeah, we're going to start investing significantly more on the services side. The first five years of life at Copper was really focused on building hardware-based solutions that uniquely unlock data that no one else gets 
gets to. The recent launch of the new neighborhood level detector is really the capstone on that. We've spent three years of dedicated engineering building this, and it's fundamentally a new digital signal processing technology that we're deploying. Now that we have this data, you can imagine the data lake opportunities when you're unlocking 30 second interval data. I mean, you're talking terabytes of data on a monthly basis. Running interesting analytics against that to come up with insights that you might not have been looking for, as an example, understanding energy efficiency targeting through gas usage data that we did for National Grid, you can start building a lot of new services. We, for example, have a patent on doing outage detection on AMR drive-by meters. Outage detection is one of the main drivers for utilities to get a so-called smart grid deployment. They can keep a few hundred million dollars in their pocket, leverage these older meters, use better data, better analytics to make better decisions about how to manage their grid. So Dan, more of the wider question about demand response and efficiency, where do you think this is all going? I think that it's time for utilities really to broaden their gaze from the really limited solutions that they've had available from a handful of vendors. And there's a lot of innovation that's happening, not only with copper, but across the clean tech ecosystem that can deliver much more efficient answers to the questions that have puzzled utilities. How do I modernize a grid in time to integrate a bunch of renewables? How do I engage these consumers? And you don't have to wait five years for an expensive smart grid deployment to start doing this stuff. Copper and other partners can unlock the data you need from these meters, deliver compelling new software solutions that meet consumers where they are and find ways to solve these problems because we are obviously trying to respond to being way too late to shifting toward more renewable sources. And we need to change how we're approaching grid modernization. And that's what Copper's stepping up to help utilities do. Fantastic. All right, Dan, I'm going to finish with a lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies, starting with natural gas. I think natural gas has a huge part to play. Natural gas isn't as clean as the sun, but it's a lot cleaner than burning coal. Given where we are in this energy transition and given the inherent intermittency of utility scale renewables, natural gas is a great way to fill some of those gaps to keep the grid running. Crude oil. It's got its place here as well. And as a clean tech guy, I hate to say that we should keep using these, but it's also just not feasible for people to say, let's flip a switch and electrify everything today. You just can't. And if you think about the number of large loads, think about shipping containers, you can't go and just electrify these things right now. And so it's going to have its place in the world, but we're glad to see it hopefully having achieved its peak. Nuclear. Not without its risks, but boy, does it generate a lot of clean energy cost effectively. And we need to have that as part of the mix. I'm particularly excited about seeing some of these new small nuclear reactors getting funded and coming to market. Coal and allied coal with carbon capture. We're glad to see that. It's ultimately long term. It's going to be a lot more inexpensive to shift away from coal. And I'm a clean tech CEO here in Boulder, Colorado, but I grew up in West Virginia. And I know a lot of people that have their livelihood tied to that. Rather than getting into this fight that it's all coal or none, I think we should be thinking about transition for those folks into installing solar panels, building wind turbines, things like that. We need to bring along not only the fuel sources as they evolve, but the people that have built livelihood on helping get them to us. Wind. Wind is free once you put that thing up there. And I know there's a lot of debate about the minerals, the cost, the concrete that goes into putting those up. But if you've got an area that is open to a lot of wind, it's a very good complement. And circling back to my comment about West Virginia, I was up in the mountains there and it was heartening for me to see a big coal mine, a power plant, and then a huge wind farm all in the same view. And that is representative of where we need to be on this transition. Solar. Solar has really been the star in and getting the cost curve down. And I think most folks expect that to continue. And where solar has its limitations and a lot of people would want to come throw rocks and say, well, the sun doesn't shine at night. What are you going to do? It sure shines a lot during the day, particularly here in the southwest of the U.S. Hydroelectric. 
Hydroelectric is really compelling. I was actually watching an interesting documentary over the weekend about some folks that are doing things with tidal generators. And I think it's just a good example of let's be as creative as we can, run tests on all these things and let the winner come out. But it's challenging to do that when we've got the sort of incumbent investments that have built our trillion dollar fossil fuel economy. Energy storage. I think that that's one of the key challenges in Getting to scale is just the cost of doing that, but I saw a great stat this week about this significantly increased attachment rate for consumers that install rooftop solar also adding storage. And so that demand will hopefully continue to drive down the cost curve and drive more domestic production of batteries. Energy efficiency, you guys. Energy efficiency is near and dear to my heart, as you would guess. And I think there's a lot that you can do to engage consumers to pitch in with this. And a lot of it is just knowing what's going on and, you know, Back to my example of identifying inefficient HVAC, you can also identify homes that with a relatively low cost energy efficiency retrofit that would generally be funded by the utility. If you can see what's happening comparing similar homes in similar conditions, you can figure out the right ones to target. Instead of just mass marketing to everyone, you can go to the ones that can really move the needle. And then finally, fusion power. I think we'd all like fusion to show up. I mean, I'd be happy to put my ball down and go home here. If we had fusion, we wouldn't need things like copper. We just have free, clean energy. But whereas we've made some great strides and some proud technical achievements for the folks that have finally demonstrated the cost effectiveness of that, we've got a long way to go before we get there. And so I think all these things we've talked about have a role to play for now. All right. Dan Foreman, Copper Labs, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Jay. Really fun conversation. That was Dan Foreman, CEO of Copper Labs, an energy meter solutions company. I want to thank Dan for his time as well as Colin Mahoney for setting this up. You can find plenty of pictures for this episode on energy-cast.com as well as on Instagram at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the wrong completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 164. Be sure to join us next week when we explore the many colors of hydrogen. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time. <laughs>